What's going on, everybody? It's Matt Kenyon back at you again with episode 20 of Composer Code. Really cool that we've uh, made it to 20 episodes. Uh, with me today, I have Chad Sider. I met Chad at the VGM Con in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he hosted a panel. He's an extremely talented composer. He's worked on Fringe, the TV show. He's worked on Lost. He's worked on a game called ReCore, as well as Archangel. He's uh, worked as a composing assistant for Michael Giacchino, uh, the, uh, the film and TV and game composer. And he just had a lot of value to share. He's a super nice, super genuine guy. Um, we uh, even went as far as to talk about uh, sort of our mutual struggle with anxiety and how creatives can overcome that. So if that's something that you do struggle with, this is definitely an interview that gets that gets down into the weeds of that. We talked about his process. We talked about sort of his journey going from editing MIDI files of Star Trek uh, MIDI recordings all the way to uh, to working on uh, games and movies. Like I said, he's a really nice guy. He had a lot of really practical advice uh, for creatives. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Chad Sider. <laughs> um, well, I, I grew up uh, at my grandmother's house and she had one of the very first CD players and uh, they had just made a recording of, of Phantom of the Opera <laughs> that I was addicted to listening to. Nice. And uh, I think Les Miserables came shortly after that. I listened to that a lot. Um, my first film score I ever got was uh, that I owned was Jurassic Park, which was cool. Um, and uh, I, I was really into a lot of, of classical music too. Uh, I listened to a lot of uh, like uh, Shostakovich and stuff like that. But uh, really one of the quintessential pieces for me was this uh, piece I... I did in, in, in choir in high school called Do, Dona Nobis Pachem. And uh, there was one piece in particular, uh, Movement 4, uh, a dirge for two veterans, that that was the moment where I was, when I heard that. And it has this part in the middle with this, this gigantic brass interlude and this massive church organ that was doubling the brass and it had just this humongous sound and I was I remember listening to it and thinking that is definitely what I want to do <laughs> and how how old were you when you had that experience uh well what I just explained was like through like a, a whole host of ages but that was I think I was like a I think I was a junior in high school when I I did that. I, I originally started like, uh, after I, I mentioned I had gotten John, uh, Jurassic Park, John Williams, uh, I started really getting into film music and, and really was addicted to, uh, composer Jerry Goldsmith. I, I, he ended up being, my, he, he's like my favorite composer of all time. And, uh, I remember I had just, this was in like, Man, this had to have been like seventh or eighth grade. <laughs> um, Star Trek First Contact came out, and Jerry Goldsmith wrote the main theme. I absolutely loved it. Uh, and I was starting to explore like audio technology on PC, and I, I was playing with, uh, starting to play with MIDI. And uh, <laughs> I remember I downloaded a MIDI file of the Star Trek First Contact main theme, and I had some sort of, you know, lightweight pirated version of, of, of cakewalk 
audio 3.1, I think it was. And I, I started opening up the MIDI file and uh, changing the instrument patches. So I would change like, you know, the flute line to, to tubular bells or something. And I would just like listen back to it. And, and it was, it was really rewarding. Like, whoa, I just affected this. And, you know, here's instead of French horns, now I'm listening to the melody played on glockenspiel. I'm a rock star orchestrator. It's just like what I remember <laughs> thinking at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I just kept going down that path until, uh, I started to get frustrated that I, <laughs> I was, I was collecting midis and I was collecting like, uh, you know, from everywhere, uh, midis and, and, from video games and everything, but I was collecting all kinds of movies, uh, scores. And I remember one of them I particularly liked was the theme to terms of endearment for whatever reason, but there, <laughs> I, I would just always be playing with these MIDI files until it, I felt prohibited by them. And I wanted to start like writing my own MIDI files. So that's when I really started exploring composition. And then it come high school when I started exploring a lot more, more sophisticated, or uh, classical and orchestral music, symphonic music. That uh, that was the moment. Building up to that, when I heard the Ray Fawn Williams piece, that I was like, "Yep, okay, we're going to do this now. Here we go." <laughs> so, when did you? Would you say you kind of taught yourself orchestration, um, or did you sort of consume other resources or books or uh, tutelage that sort of helped you, or is it all just like playing with MIDI notes until you found what sounded right? I mean, uh, so the way I work, I, I, I do very poorly when I'm sitting in a classroom. I don't know what it is. I just can't absorb knowledge. I have to have my hands on it somehow. I think that's a lot so, of creative people. I've heard similar, a similar sentiment from, from highly creative people. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very common. Uh, I would, I would, you know, I, I never took any formal, I never really took any formal music classes. Uh, I'm pretty much, I, I, I've pretty much taught myself by others teaching me self-study. I would, uh, I would try experimenting with things and then get books to, to help me learn more about the things I was discovering basically. So it was, it was kind of a combination of textbooks, uh, friends and teachers teaching me and helping me when I ask questions and, and just good old fashioned, just sitting down plunking out notes until they started to sound good. Another rock star moment was when I played three notes together and it made a, made a really nice sounding chord. And I asked my music teacher, I played it for him. And I was like, check out this chord I made. And he was like, yeah, that's a minor. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, it has a name. <laughs> I want to know more of these, That's, these chords. <laughs> that is so cool. Man. So um, when you were sort of developing these skills, what was it about uh, Jerry Goldsmith's music that kept you, that kept you coming back or what original, what sort of drew you to his music? What, what disparate elements of the music was it? Was the melody harmony, something else? Uh, it 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 just always felt so uh, like massive to me. Goldsmith's music always carried such like a huge weight with it, and and you know tying into what you want to talk about later about anxiety. Like you know I I, uh, I I guess maybe my brain is just wired to understand the way that Goldsmith wrote in that 
world because I know he was riddled with like anxiety and I don't know it just it was just he had such finesse over the orchestra and Mm -hmm. he rhythmically he would just like fall into these awesome rhythm grooves that was like dun 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 you know like these like just awesome just patterns that he would just lock into for a while and Mm -hmm. the orchestra would lock in with it uh and I remember that sometimes it would just be so massive and so scary, especially like I liked his horror scores and, and his action music and the recordings were phenomenal. And so, you know, the toms would go like, and it would just like broadly echo through the hall. You could mm. just hear the room in the recording. It was just, it was masterful to me. <laughs> Is there another thing besides the, I'm sure there are several besides the, uh, the, the, uh, the really cool rhythms that stick out to you as one of the biggest things you learned from studying uh, Jerry Goldsmith's music? Something other than the rhythms? Yeah. You say? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, his orchestration was brilliant. Like, I really got into just his melodic patterns as well. You know, he, he really know, knew how to write a melody and he would know how to, like, tie it and weave it into the score really brilliantly so i always felt that there it was just this one massive piece of music instead of uh cue after cue after cue uh just the way he would tie all these motifs together was just it was it's inspiring to me and and it was cool once he started doing other scores and i like this from other composers too like james horner in particular uh when those when I would start to learn like their style, you know, mm. when I would learn what patterns they would use and, you know, James Horner's famous for this little motif he does that is like his danger motif. It would, would go and it was like a bad guy theme or just an alert to something bad happening on the mm. screen or something. Uh, it was always really cool. So Goldsmith had a lot of these patterns and things he would do that really spoke to me that I would hear throughout his work. So it was like uh, studying his whole, his whole library rather than just one score itself that, that I really connected with. So you go from playing in MIDI files, learning from Jerry Goldsmith, and you also worked closely with Michael Giacchino. So what was the journey like going from point A to point B? I I feel like there's a whole lot of steps in between that are, (laughs) that are, you know, from one thing to the other. Um, it working with Michael, uh, I, I loved the, the medal of honor scores. I mean, I just absolutely loved them. And, uh, my first, my first day after I moved to Los Angeles, actually. So I was on day two was the scoring session to the first Call of Duty game that Michael scored. So that was another one of the moments. And it was at, it was, you know, with a full orchestra at Sony Studios and everything. And the whole team was there and I met them. And it was like, now, now I said I wanted to do that before, but this is actually what I want to do. You know, it just was the next level of, 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 you know, passion towards the art of recording. That is what I love. Um, and so I really learned a lot from Michael. Um, it w- what was really cool about working for Michael is that when I would have to, you know, I didn't have Jerry Goldsmith scores or, or anything. So the, the most I could do is listen to him. But with Michael, like I got to watch him create everything 
and then work with it note by note, really, you know, whether I'm doing score prep or arrangement or orchestration or whatever, uh, or even additional music later on for various things. Like I got to study every note he wrote and, and actually see it. So I feel like I learned so much about the orchestra just through the fact that I was processing all his work. Um, Hmm. and, and would just see, you know, I would, I would guess in my head what things were going to sound like Mm -hmm. and, and listen to his synth mock-ups. And, and so I would start to learn the translation from like synthesizers to, to live music. It was, it was, it was a pretty amazing experience that I, I feel like not, I was very fortunate to have, I feel like it's not something a lot of people get to experience, you know, just working with orchestras week after week on TV shows and things. How did you originally get connected with Michael? Uh, I was friends with um, a a composer at the time, um, Chris Tilton, uh, who worked for Michael. And uh, I met Chris online and we loved film scores and we always talked about them and everything. And, and, uh, you know, I eventually was like, I want to be a composer. And he was already studying. He was older than me. And so he had moved to Los Angeles. And, and when I moved to LA, I moved in with him. He was already working for Michael and I, I just got to come along for the ride. And eventually when Michael got busier, um, I, I, I got to, to get work from him, you know, on the TV show lost is really one of my first projects and the Incredibles, I was just like a scoring assistant, but I, you know, I was there and helped out. I was literally getting bagels for some of it, but (laughs) just being there was a great way and to just get ingratiated into the whole process. So it kind of evolved from uh, being a roommate to, I started by then babysitting Michael's kids and running errands for him and helping him move. And uh, it would just, you know, I, I would just get more and more responsibilities until it became an actual job, which was awesome. I just kind of grew into it. You know, uh, I think the best thing that I learned was, uh, frankly, uh, time management. Um, <laughs> he, he, Michael's just so incredibly fast, and 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 you know, he did. He 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 would just always be working, but would maintain like a really healthy life balance and and with i admired it i admire it greatly between his family and his children and and his job you know which is another children child unto itself so i always just really admired how he worked and and it it just i never knew another way of working on music you know i was always a hobbyist and then once i had a job i was in music i was learning from a guy who was a seasoned professional in it. And, and, and so I learned really good habits early on. And that was other than the music stuff. I mean, I could go on all day what I learned from him, but like, that is the thing that always comes back to me and sticks with me, like how to, how to regiment yourself. And, (laughs) uh, which is always hard when you're a musician because you get in your own head for a long time. So as long as you can, manage your time I, I feel like you can manage any part of any job <laughs> absolutely did you find that as you were um as you were writing your own music that being around the orchestra 
Oh, let me ask you, I'll ask it this way. How did being around Michael and being around that environment inform your own writing style and your own writing habits when it came to actually well, it was, writing? It was really cool. I mean, doing orchestration and stuff, you know, you're always, when you, when you orchestrate, uh, you're really only, even though it's someone else's music and they might be a hundred percent like, expert writer and write on sketches but once you're orchestrating it uh, you, your own person like your your own habits work their way into the orchestration so you know i would it would be like i would try things like what happens if you slur the strings this way or or what happens if i put these markings on there little things that i could i could test the orchestra on that was non-invasive you know uh but from there, it would, it would, I just would be hearing it. It was really, it's hard to say. I would just always be hearing it. And then when I went home to write on my own things, I would, I would, I would think about what I heard, you know, and, and, and think of how I could emulate. I'm just always thinking about that stuff anyway. So it was just gaining the experience, listening to an orchestra all the time with my own explorations separate. Uh, that just kind of gave me a boot camp into the orchestra itself. And then, I mean, once I started writing and, and getting orchestras, I, you know, I didn't, I felt like there wasn't, a, I mean, I wrote some pretty terrible stuff early on for orchestra, like not knowing really what I was doing, but I feel like that just comes with age. I always thought that I had a, a pretty good grasp on, on the orchestra itself. And, and so once I started getting my own orchestras, I, I feel like I hit that that stride pretty quickly and, and you know, locked it in uh, because it's always important to me that I utilize, like, I love writing, but I love utilizing the orchestra, too. So, like, it was all about finding the balance there, you know, and, and learning from my own mistakes and other mistakes we all made as a team in the past and then hearing it on the stage for the first time. It, it just kind of came together better. And then you learn from that and you learn from that and it just kind of snowballs. I don't know if any of that made sense, but... <laughs> no, that makes absolute sense. And and as a follow-up to that, I'm curious, as someone who's very experienced with the orchestra, if you were, say, coaching someone who was uh, moving into that space, who wanted to orchestrate uh, pieces, what are some things that you would tell them, maybe mistakes that you made that you would sort of caution them to avoid, or maybe some tips that you learned along the way um, that maybe could save them some grief? Um, you know, my answer these days, I mean, everything's so different now with technology and the various kinds of product. Uh, projects that exist, uh, different from even when I got started. I mean, it's tough to say, and part of me just wants to say, you know what, do what you think is best. Like, mm. I could go off on a litany of things that you could tell first-time orchestra composers to avoid, um, but without the experience, they're not really going to know anyway. Sure. So, like, I think you're your safest bet is always to just double down on what you think is right, because mm. you're going to learn right away, whether it's right or not. So, mm. uh, uh, I, I think experimentation is, is really healthy in this regard. And, uh, but if you're nervous about it, if you're nervous that the orchestra isn't going to turn out very well, that's when I would say, 
you need to you need to uh, make sure that uh, you have an experienced team with you to make sure that your transition is smooth. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> because uh, that's you know I would say that if I, I I like to try and make mistakes and I learned so much from Tim's uh, Michael's team. Tim Simonek was his orchestrator and. I learned so much from him that by the time my turn came with the orchestra, like I was good to go and I could orchestrate everything by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but not everyone has that luxury. So I think, and in some, some ways, you know, I, I, I've always thought that maybe my impression of the orchestra is colored from my experience. Um, that, that perhaps I would have chosen, I would have chosen different colors and patterns if, if I had, you know, back to the future style, like sure. if I had a different timeline, perhaps it would have gone differently. So I, I think just experimenting and, and not being stressed about it is a good way of doing it. Do what you think is right sonically. And you, you can always ask questions to people that know the orchestra People like me, for example, who love orchestra, like <laughs> we're always going to want to talk about it. So uh, I would just, you know, I, if you're if you've gotten to the point where you're going to have an orchestra, you've you've probably got people to talk to about their orchestra experience, and and you can ask them curated questions based on what you're doing. You know, they, you could say like, oh, I'm doing a big action score with lots of staccato notes. Like, do you have any tips for me? And, you know, if someone were to say that to me right off the bat, I would say, okay, divide your lower strings more than you divide your upper strings, hmm. like things like that, you know, just, um, uh, you know, don't divide the first violins if you don't have to, things like that. Just simple things. Those are just technical things. But uh, as for the artistic side of it, I, I, I always hesitate because no two people write the same and they're, you're going to have your own color with the orchestra, so you should just you should just try your thing, see what, how see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice, man. Um, so you worked on Fringe as well, the show, and you worked on Lost, um, and of course you did um, also introduce games into your rep repertoire. What was that like, uh, going from film and doing your first game score? Can you maybe tell the story of how you got? Uh, hooked up into the game industry and started working on your first project in that space? Well, I was always kind of focusing on that. I mean, I, I always wanted to do games. I, I, I grew up playing games. I love games. So it, 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 I feel like while I was, I mean, when I, I should say I wanted to be a composer, not necessarily a film composer or a game composer. I didn't know what that meant or where it would go. So by the time I started writing, you know, one of the things I was actively hunting for was video games. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it's, it's, it's tough to say that it was added to my repertoire because I, I lived and breathed games. So I yeah. got a game to score, you know, or sure. something like that. I was always seeking out little games, you know, indie games that people were making and, and, you know, they might not have ever finished it, which is fine. Cause I probably never finished the score either. <laughs> things like that. Uh, but games, you know, but games have changed a lot these days mm -hmm. and there's just no real specific way to make a game. And, and it, it, so just like there's no specific way to make a film and everything. So I, I feel like when I approach a project, I don't approach it as like, it's a game or it's a film. I approach every project, like it's a story gotcha. and, uh, and what's the best way to, to tell this story hmm. with, with my compositions. 
So that really, so there really isn't that much of a delineation in your mind. I mean, there's some technical differences, obviously, between games and films, but obviously, the the core Ooh. storytelling element is is the most important thing to you. Always, uh, yes, it's always, and that I learned a lot from Michael too. He says the same thing: storytelling is above all else, you know. And I like when I work on stuff, uh, like when I'm scoring the picture. I never turn the dialogue and sound effects off. Hmm. I'll turn off the temp music because I, I obviously don't want to hear that sure. uh, while I'm writing. But I will always I will never turn off the dialogue and sound effects. You know, unless I'm working on something super intricate, like working out notes. But when I'm writing, it's always on. So I always am paying attention to the like the beats. You know, like right the time in between breaths and. And the, the weight, you know, like someone will say something super dramatic. So I don't necessarily want to, I want that to weight the weight of what who, whoever it is says. Mm. I want to lay into that. So I, you know, you, you time that too. So uh, because if you even pause, you know, here we go. Dun, 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 you know, and you, you just want that to sink in. I feel like sure. those are all story elements and emotional emotional beats that you pick up on and so uh i always do the same thing with games too and and so i i had scored a, a game called record for uh microsoft studios and and aperture um armature i'm sorry <laughs> um and what are you thinking uh, portal aperture science <laughs> yeah I, I guess i guess i was um uh and Recore, you know, I, I did the same thing. I, I was just always looking for these story beats to to affect the gameplay. Like, when do we go into the action tracks? When do we come out of them? When do we crossfade between intensities? Things like that. Always looking for for beats in in the interactive systems. So uh, the the different there are major differences. I heard this explained uh, as. Linear and nonlinear entertainment hmm. is is a good way of putting it. So I feel like the emotional beats in nonlinear entertainment are just as prevalent. There's just a different technical workflow to find them. Sure. I, I listened to the entire ReCore score, by the way, um, and it's phenomenal. I listened to it on Spotify. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love the um, sort of the the synthesis of more electronic elements. And then there's like some choir, like choral elements. It sounded like with the orchestra and like some heavy percussive elements. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's a fantastic score. Good. I'm, gl I'm glad you like it. There's lots of like, I mean, it's uh, in, in many ways, it's a, a, a love letter to all the things I love in film music and game music. Lots of, lots of rhythms and patterns and things. And uh, I, you know, just, I, I feel like that score is the most me that I've ever written. <laughs> hmm, well, that's, that's really cool. I'll definitely put that in the description so everyone listening can check that out. Cool. I'm curious also, when you wrote ReCore, um, did you start with, well, I'm kind of getting into sort of your process now. And I know, like you mentioned, everyone writes differently. So it's not, not to say that your process is the only process, but I love sort of hearing and collecting the processes of, of other composers. Do you typically start with uh, a piano sketch and then sort of, ex you know, blow that up and expand it out? Um, do you hear the whole thing in your mind and, and go straight to your, your DAW? What's sort of like your, your process for writing ReCore or your process in general? I would say I have a few ways of starting a project and most of the time um, 
I'm, I'm not much of a second guesser. So typically what I will do is I will just load up my sequencer and, and just start with whatever, wherever something should go. So usually I'll put down a pulse of some sort, um, some sort of like rhythmic momentum to, I'll, I'll load picture up and uh, whatever it is and just mm-hmm. try to find a rhythm that I like, like a literal BPM. So yeah. then I'll like, just, I'll probably then start put, like, if it's a, if it's an action score, you know, I might just start an action cue. This is anything. I'll just put down like a dun, 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 hmm. you know, and then just, then just start going from there because I might strip that away. I might not, but I'll, I'll start to add in like, you know, like some sort of rhythm and, mm-hmm. and th- with the idea that that's going to grow into mo- a motif. Sure. Um, so that's like one way that I start, but I, I mean, I will have sat down and played something on the piano before, before I go put it in the sequencer. But I generally, I always wait till I have the actual materials uh, so that I can just start fresh and, and have a clear idea because you know, I, some people are like, Oh, will you read the script? And, and maybe you'll, you'll want to write something to the script. And I always say, well, if you want that, sure. But I, I would rather wait to see like what you do mm-hmm. before I start, you know, putting my opinion on that. <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So, uh, I want to transition to talking about some of the things you, stri- uh, you, you shared about anxiety. And uh, I, I guess I should preface this by saying I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We're not doctors. We're not giving prescriptive advice. This is just sort of our experience. But um, I really resonated with that because I I, uh, I also struggle with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm medicated for it. Um, and uh, I, I will say that it has been uh, a struggle for me um, because uh I don't, uh, I'm not creative when I'm in those dark places. Um, I'm kind of paralyzed. Um, so I'm curious if you could just maybe talk a little bit about your experience with that, maybe how it's affected your creativity and, and maybe even some tactics for how you've overcome that in your, in your career. You know, I, I always felt like part of my anxiety was like, tying my emotions and career separately where uh like even though i was composing and that was artistic i i kind of chose to think of it as like but this is a business so i'm gonna focus on on running my business so i would look at things very clinically and uh and it did me well for a long time so what when i was having anxious breaks, I was, I was able to keep working for the most part because I was able to, I was able to set aside my emotions. But I think after a while, as I got older, um, I I think it became tougher to separate those, those gaps and and a lot changed in my life where I I had a son and Mm -hmm. suddenly you, you find this whole, I think, having, I think my anxiety got way worse when I had my son, Hmm. but not because he stressed me out or anything. I think it was because it was like, he taught me a lot about myself that Hmm. I, I didn't know about myself. And so how old is your son now? 
Uh, he's he turns two next week, actually. That's so awesome. Um, My son just turned two in March. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully the terrible twos treat you nicely as 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 well. We're we're getting our first taste. Oh, of yes. it now. <laughs> so, so are we? There, uh, there's ups and downs, but overall, it's a ton of fun. It's it's a really yeah. fun age. Well, you probably found the same thing, probably, where, yeah. I mean, there you have to open up this new, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but this like little channel into your heart that you otherwise thought you didn't necessarily need, you know, sure. and suddenly, you know, I used to love like gory movies and things. And now I, I don't really have patience for them anymore. I can't really, you know, they, <laughs> they really upset me now. And mm-hmm. so I think with my anxiety, like working on projects, I had always put that aside. And at one point it became unmanageable anymore for me because, uh, I, I was not trusting my own emotions all the time. So learning how to, you know, how learning how to accept yourself, I feel like is really the, the gateway to curing anxiety, because I guess at least for me, anxiety to me is just this negative force, just floating over your head, just telling you, that you suck, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you, you can't do this or you shouldn't even try or, or, Oh, everyone's better at that than you anyway, things like that. Mm -hmm. And it would manifest by, you know, I, I quit social media altogether, which was a big help, but I would keep social media around because I thought, well, I need to keep an eye on everyone because I, I, I need to, I need it for work is what I would say. And, you know, you follow, you follow, other composers and you follow, um, artists that you like, and they all have, you know, their fascinating social media lives. Mm-hmm. And, and suddenly it looks like everyone is like infinitely more productive than you. Right. Um, right. and I, it would just make me feel like garbage. Yeah. And, uh, at one point, uh, I had to say like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't think I, I just can't handle so much anymore. I think I'm going to close down my social media accounts and see how it goes. And I'm on like a year now of no social media and my anxiety has plummeted just right there. And suddenly all these thoughts opened up to me that I never thought I, I could, I, I could think like, hmm. I'm not worrying what, my, my, my peers are doing what other composers are doing. I'm not worrying about like what jobs they're getting or, 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 or anything like that. Suddenly I'm actually thinking about myself and, and which sounds selfish, but it's a, it's a fundamental thing you need to be alive, Mm. (laughs) I think. Yeah. And convincing yourself that you don't want to be selfish is, creates anxiety as well. And for sure, like there's so many little triggers to me. So whatever I, I just learned, like this feels really good cutting it out and I want to do more of that. So, Mm. you know, I started looking at things that, that stressed me out and I've just, you know, pared it down and, and it's really brought me into like a different place creatively too, where suddenly I feel like I can handle so much more and I have more to say, like now that I'm actually trusting my instincts as a, as a creative person for like kind of the first time more or less. <laughs> wow. Well, that's really cool, man. I think, I think we can, 
I, I, I often struggle with social media. I, I will say like, um, I've never, uh, uh, left, you know, a session of, of scrolling Twitter or Facebook feeling really great. You know, I, I kind of always feel like, oh, everyone's, you know, there's all sorts of crazy dark things in like the world. Like you just did and, binge eating or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, like yeah. it felt, it, I got all the dopamine while it was happening, but now I'm just like dealing with the aftermath and I'm, I'm not right. any better. I'm not any more productive. I'm not a better husband or father, you know, because of it, you know, I'm not a better composer or creative. And so I, I, uh, I think there's a lot, a lot to be learned from that. I'm curious, you mentioned that anxiety was this sort of this voice that, that told you, you suck, you're not good enough. You can't do this. Um, do you have any specific, I guess, coping mechanisms that have worked for you when that voice comes on you and, and you're like right in the middle of, of a deadline or you're in the middle of, of with, you know, you're with your family or whatever it may be. Do you have any some techniques to sort of silence that voice or to kind of talk back to I it? Actually, I actually literally wrote a song about it. Um, I, I did play it in the in yes, the, I remember. Um, you, yeah, there was that that singer, the female singer, that had a beautiful yeah, voice, Laura Intravia. Yeah, um, she. Uh, uh, so, what I wanted to do is, I needed I needed to write a song, literally about anxiety. So I thought, what better way than to deal with my own anxiety? And I, I. So to your question of how do you deal with the anxiety is I equated it to anxiety is like this awful winter storm blowing mm. and you, you got to get, you got to, you know, let's say you got to go out somewhere. Like you have to weather the storm somehow. So I always, I, I always equated to when I was in high school, I would walk two miles to school every day. And in the, I'm from Michigan in the middle of the bitter winter, like, it's, it's, it's freaking cold. Mm -hmm. So I always thought like dealing with my anxiety is like bundling up and just hunkering down and pushing forward into the wind. Like you have to be vigilant to get, to get to where you're going. And mm -hmm. I feel like when anxiety is blowing all around you, you need to just like cover your face and, and, and hunker down and just push forward. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're never going to make it to where you've got to go. Um, but you know, interestingly enough, I heard, uh, I was with my friend the other day at, up in Seattle and she said, I, I, we were talking about this and she said she feels anxiety totally different. She said she feels like she's drowning in it. Like it's this quantifiable substance all around her, like a viscous substance that's like caking onto her that, you know, like, you just can't get away from. And, mm. and that sounds to me, that sounds more stressful than the, the wind <laughs> you gotta, you gotta move through. Yeah. Um, but, but that's sort of how I at least equate it. Uh, and how I choose to deal with it. You know, when the bad thoughts pop in your head, you just, Nope, I'm going to just keep going. I'm not going to listen to that. And sometimes I actually have to say, Nope. And there's little things like, I still have my Twitter account, but it's deactivated mm -hmm. though. It'll get deleted if I don't use it for 30 days. And you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose it. So, um, I, every, I set a calendar. So every 30 days I, I activate it and I shut it back down. And when I activate it, you know, it just starts aggregating my feed once again. And so every once in a while, I'll, it'll start showing me stuff and I'll scroll through it. And I totally feel like I'm 
eating that candy, you know, like, mm. oh, this is so good. And I, and I find now that now that I've taken time away from it, I am immediately anxious, angry, jealous, like all those things. Wow. Like, it just brings the worst out in me. So, you know, that's, I, I just, I just, was like, you know, this is really not worth it. <laughs> I'll, I'll find other ways to get to where I need to go as it were. So that's just how I kind of approach anxiety in general, I suppose. <laughs> well, there's definitely something to be said for knowing yourself, you know, and having that level of self-awareness, knowing what triggers you, what you can handle, what you can't. I think, um, I think that's super important just to, just to know your own, you know, your own genetic makeup. And what triggers yeah, you, I, I think, is the first step. I totally think once I was able to humanize my or 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 anthropomorphize anthropomorphize my yeah, my anxiety as like a a windstorm. Like once once I quantified that as that, it, it as that, I feel like I understood it better, hmm. um, and it didn't seem so scary anymore. It's it's like you know, I I think if as long as you at least for me, once I did that, it really helped understanding what came next. So I don't know if it works for you, um, mm. <laughs> but I, 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 I can, I can vote for that. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool, man. Um, I'm curious what excites you kind of shifting gears, uh, back to your creative work. Um, is there anything right now that's just kind of exciting you about the future? Any cool projects that you can talk about in the works or any future goals that you're working toward? Um, well, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hunkering down to, uh, start my first symphony. I think it's time to finally write something and it's going to be about this very same topic because it kind of is my whole world right now that I've been working on. So I, I feel like I have a lot to say about it, uh, both vocally, but also musically. So mm. I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing early prep work into that and, and hope to get, uh, get started on that once, uh, <laughs> the birthday festivities for my son are, are over. But in the next few weeks, that's gonna, I'm going to be starting to hammer that out. That is really exciting. Um, where can, where can I go or where can listeners go to, to sort of stay apprised of that? when it'll be you know, uh, finished or well, I, I, I know check out my social media, but <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Um, I don't know yet. I, okay. I, I've, you know, so that's okay. when I come, you know, a lot of the times when a, when a composer, you know, starts a symphony or something, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a process. So, cause you have to, you can't just write a symphony and someone's going to play it. You have to build up a whole business around it. Mm. So, um, I, I have to start creating the business, uh, for the symphony as well. Like, where am I going to, where am I going to sell it? How, you know, well, how am I going to promote it? Things like that. So I don't know yet. Um, I have some early ideas and things, but, uh, I'll let you know as I, as I get closer, because I want to, I want to like come out of the gate with it, like done Yeah, is, is how I'd like to, I'd like to feel like it's complete, but I haven't, I, I haven't really thought of how I would incorporate, you know, a, a blog or something. I, I, during the writing process, I suppose I probably should. So, <laughs> so I want to end real quick with just a lightning round where I'm just going to ask you three really quick questions and you answer first, first thing that pops into your mind. Okay. okay. So if you could collab, I think I know the answer to this, but if you could collaborate with one person, one artist living or dead, who would it be? 
Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> he's been on my mind through this call. So right now, hammering it out, it's obviously Jerry Goldsmith. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Top three favorite game soundtracks of all time. Uh, Final Fantasy VII. Uh, um, uh, oh, Castlevania IV. Super Castlevania Four. Nice. And... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there. Are. Yes, there is. I would say. Oh, um, I would actually say um, "Secret Weapons Over Normandy" by Michael uh, Giacchino. Nice. Those are my top three uh, game scores of all time. Fantastic. Favorite piece of gear or plugin that you come back to time and time again. Uh, my favorite piece of gear is my mouse that I really like, the Logic, Logitech MX2. Um, I click everything and I don't really play stuff in. And so I've got it ergonomically configured with the buttons and everything to just, I never have to take my hands off the mouse when I'm working. Nice. So I love my mouse uh, and my keyboard. I have the craft keyboard. So uh and what was the other one? The other question? That was that? it. That was just favorite piece oh. of gear or plugin. There's something that you, oh. you know, like it could be a, a virtual piece of gear or a physical piece of gear. Oh, okay. Well, then I should, uh, can I add to it? Of course. I would say that for uh, my musical uh, piece of gear is, is, is Vienna Ensemble Pro and uh, where I load all my plugins and I can totally like work on one computer and I've, I've streamlined my workflow. I, I have 128 gigabytes of RAM and I just like to jam it all full and, and uh, have a nice MIDI template that I can just sit down and, and immediately start working. So, uh, and I rely on that program to handle all my processing and everything. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. The physical one, my mouse, the digital one, Vienna Ensemble Pro. <laughs> I love it. So do you have the home, you have the master slave thing set up with your PC? Um, I do it all on one PC, but, oh, okay. uh, but yes, I, I'm actually going to be adding on a, a, a separate rig for Pro Tools. So um, I'm planning on printing all my stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm in the process of switching to a new sequencer from Digital Performer oh. to Cubase. Oh, nice. So, I remember you were talking about yeah. Digital Performer. You had kind of a love-hate relationship with it when you were talking about it at the panel. Yeah, I was, during that talk, it was particularly crashy. And so <laughs> yeah. I ended up just abandoning, abandoning it all together, which was too bad because I was going to do like a little writing workshop, but had to switch gears. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I can't wait. And then everything will print from... Cubase into Pro Tools and, and I'll be able to move on to mixing there. So yeah. I'm pretty excited about this new workflow I've been building. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, dude, it is fantastic to talk with you. Is there anywhere people can go to listen to your music uh, besides Spotify? You know, I haven't really had a lot of my music released, to be honest with you. I feel like I've done so much and yet so little of it is available. Um, I know that on YouTube, there are plenty of game rips of my Star Trek score. Um, on Spotify or iTunes, all the services, you've got the ReCore soundtrack, um, which is highly recommended. I have also written a score recently called Archangel for an indie game. Uh, that my friend made. Uh, 
I'm really proud of that one as well, and that has a song that features Laura and Travia that I was talking about, Walk Past the, Sw- the, the Storm. So that's on my Archangel soundtrack, also available. Um, my f- uh, season one of Fringe, it has some of my stuff on it, and uh, I don't know, I've just done so many arrangements and orchestrations, they're, they're kind of just all over the place. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, man, it was really great talking with you. Appreciate just your openness and uh, your willingness to share your process as well as your own journey. And uh, yeah, just thanks so much. And hopefully we'll keep in touch. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Composer Code. And as always, thank you so much to my very generous patrons over at Patreon who help support the show. If you'd like to become a patron and help support Composer Code, head on over to patreon.com slash composer code. I've got some cool rewards there, not the least of which is the ability to submit questions that I'll ask my guests. And it's a cool little community we got going there. So if you'd like to support the show, check that out. And I will see everyone next time.